This is the Benefits Buzz Podcast, your weekly pulse on what's happening in the world of employee benefits. Brought to you by your friends at WEX, who believe in simplifying benefits for everyone. Now listen up, and let's get buzzed! Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Benefits Buzz. I'm your host, Nathan Coverstone, and today I'm joined by one of our HR co-hosts, Jessica Jurgensen. Jessica is an HR Senior Agile Project Manager here at WEX. You know, Jessica, at the end of January, President Biden informed Congress that he plans to end the two COVID-19 national emergencies on May 11th, 2023. But recently, House Joint Resolution 7 passed, and the, or both the House and the Senate, and was delivered to President Biden on April 5th, 2023, resulting in the possibility of an immediate termination ahead of that expected May 11th, 2023 date. So from an employee benefits and COBRA perspective, this would mean the temporary extensions introduced during the COVID-19 emergency will also expire. Uh, so that end of the national emergency would also mean other changes regarding healthcare costs. Uh, so really in today's episode, we're really hoping to discuss what the end of the COVID-19 national emergency means for our world of benefits, COBRA, FSAs, and more. And with that, I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, Jill Longo. Jill is Director of Compliance for the Health Division here at WEX and has just a wealth of knowledge on this topic. Jill, welcome to Benefits Buzz. Hi, Nathan. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Right out of the gate, I have a question for you, if I could. Can you kind of give us a brief overview of what the COVID-19 national emergency was and why its ending could significantly impact both employers, their HR teams, and even individual employees? Sure. Um, with, um, so the national emergency um, that was uh, put into effect in March of 2020, it um, affected certain timelines for um, COBRA and um, employee health benefit plans. Um, the extensions were first announced in um, by the Employee Benefit Services Administration back in 2020. It provided qualified beneficiaries, um, COBRA qualified beneficiaries, additional time um, to make certain notifications about uh, their their qualifying events and things such as when they became eligible for dis, um, disability, they had extra time to let their employer know about those things. Um, they also had additional time to elect COBRA and to make premium payments. Um, it was um, extended during this national emergency period um, so that um, they had a little more leeway and with, uh, with regard to COBRA. It also gave employers a little extra time um, in making um, and so providing notices to uh, COBRA qualifying um, individuals. So um, there were a couple of things related to COBRA and then a couple um, of extensions related to employee health benefit plans, um, such as um, uh, an extended amount of time to submit claims, an extended amount of time to submit appeals, and an extended amount of time um, to perfect um, any requests to make a request or perfect a request um, for external review, if that is um, something that the plan is required to, to, to have. So that is what the national, emer national emergency did. Now there is a slight difference. There's also a public health emergency, which sometimes people get those two confused. 
But what I was just talking about was the national emergency. Wow. A lot of moving parts. I can definitely see why this would be impactful to so many employers and individuals. Yes, there, um, there are going to be a lot of, with, with the end of this national emergency, there's going to be a lot of walking back to how things used to be pre-COVID and um, a lot of changes and I, it, it, um, a lot of looking at how how change looking at how those extensions were implemented and then determining how do we get back to where we once were um before pre-covid perfect yeah thanks jill for that for that overview of everything um on that note about rolling things back and and getting to how things were in the past how will this impact cobra specifically you touched on a couple things but anything to to dive into more detail there Sure. Um, so during the national emergency, um, individuals had extra time to elect COBRA. They had extra time to um, make their initial payment and their subsequent monthly um, premium payments. Um, so for example, um, pre-COVID, the normal COBRA rules, they allow an individual 60 days to elect COBRA after they receive their um, note, their notification from their employer about their qualifying events. They receive their election notices. Mm -hmm. They have 60 days on a normal basis to make that um, election. During this national emergency and all the way up through the end of the national emergency and what's called the outbreak period, which continues 60 days after the national emergency ends, um, those folks who had a COBRA qualifying event they had extra time to make their election. So they could have waited up to a year after their normal due date to make an election. Um, and then the same thing goes for their initial payment and their subsequent monthly payments. Um, 45 days to make an initial payment is the normal timeline. Um, those those um, due dates and deadlines were extended during the national emergency and will continue to be extended and up until the end of the outbreak period. So um, let's say, for example, we're talking about May 11th as the, the end of the national emergency. That means that as of July 10th, which is 60 days after May 11th, um, those individuals, their clock will start ticking again. So if they um, have, or if they're in the election window, um, they will have 60 days after the, um, that July 10th date to make their election. Um, there are some intricacies about whether like the, the 365 day mark, the one year mark comes first or the, um, the end of the outbreak period, election period comes first. It gets a little tricky. Um, so, uh, uh, but that's why, um, that's why employers rely on their TPAs for these types of things. <laughs> so. Yeah, to, to recap what you said, I, I think what I heard was 60 days after the 60 days, but not always. But not and, always. Exactly. and it gets trickier from there. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, glad we have an expert on the call today. You, know, talk, you can talk in circles, but, um, but I mean, there is, a, there is a way to calculate it, a method to the madness um, and uh, we'll just have to be what we, you know, employers need to be prepared for that end and what is to come um, related to COBRA specifically with those different timelines, because it is quite complicated um, mm -hmm. 
But I mean, COVID is complicated without all of the national emergency extensions. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You're you're not wrong. Cobra can be. I'm I'm sorry. There's a part of me that's still kind of daydreaming about going back to the days of pre-COVID. So when you said that, I I got stuck in my thoughts for a little bit there. Let me ask you a question, Jill. Though it's it's obviously very impactful to Cobra, but will the end of the national emergency have any impact to things like flexible spending accounts or health reimbursement arrangements or or really any of the other benefits that people have come to rely on? Yes. So during the national emergency, um, individuals had extra time to file um, file a claim. So um, normally, FSAs, HRAs, there's a certain amount of time. There's usually a, a runout period after the end of the plan year in which a claim can be submitted and someone can request a reimbursement for their plan uh, or through their plan. Um, those have been extended um, sort of on the same type of timeline, um, you know, they individuals have been given an additional year to submit their claims. Um, and they've also been given an additional year to appeal. Uh, if they had a denied claim, um, they have additional time to appeal that claim. So the normal ERISA timeframe for submitting an appeal is 180 days after a claim is denied, someone has to appeal that decision if they want, if they want to. Um, during the national emergency and up through this outbreak period that I've been talking about, they do get that extra time. Well, that will also expire when the outbreak period is over and we will go back to normal timelines for those folks. So, you know, if they normally have to um, submit their claims or submit their appeals on a certain, you know, within 90 days or 180 days, that is all going to be to roll back to those original due dates that are implemented by their, um, by their employer's health plan or their FSA, HRA, um, whatever group health plan we're talking about. So it sounds like it's pretty important for participants to really pay attention to the claims they filed and any denials that they had and, and keep track of those deadlines to make sure that they can appeal if they need to. Am I, am I understand that correctly? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's going to be important um, for folks to remember that they have um, that, that they're going back to whatever their plan document um, said um, pre-COVID. So their plan documents always provide uh, the due dates for submitting claims, and those dates will go back. Um, uh, will we'll roll back to those requirements once the national emergency is over. I'm back to daydreaming pre-COVID. I better turn it over to you, Jessica, because I'm, I'm going to daydream for a little bit. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. You, you go right ahead. So shifting gears a little bit as we are all um, having this conversations from the comfort of our homes and um, there's not a lot that you can't do remotely now. Um, tell us about the impact that this will have on telemedicine. Um, so there's a couple of different ways that uh, telemedicine is affected or in one way that it's actually not yet affected. Um, so one way is that um, in those pre-COVID times, Medicare enrollees that were living in rural areas, they were the only ones who could use Medicare to cover their telehealth appointments. So um, that was, you know, think individuals, they're in rural areas, there's like a certain um, uh, distance uh, mm -hmm. around them that they don't have access to certain medical professionals. So Medicare allowed those individuals pre-COVID to use telehealth appointments 
but others who did not live in those situations were not allowed to. Um, the pandemic ushered in additional flexibility so that Medicare enrollees could receive um, coverage of telehealth um, uh, for appointments that otherwise they would have been in-person appointments. Um, the, there was a $1.7 trillion spending bill that President Biden signed into law in December 2022, um, and it included additional two-year extension of these provisions. So Medicare telehealth coverage provisions will remain in place through 2024. Um, for group health plan sponsors, that means that even after the public health emergency or the national emergency ends, um, they can continue um, first dollar telehealth coverage for plan participants. Um, and that's particularly important to those plans who want to maintain HSA compatibility. So um, um, as one requirement to have a um, health savings account, you cannot have um, pre-deductible health services provided to individuals except for a certain category of preventive services. Um, but in this case, um, that, that bill does allow for the um, group health plans to continue to offer that tele telehealth coverage up and through, up through December 2024. Okay, add that to the the list of dates to remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's great that the telehealth is is allowed to continue all the way through December 2024. I think that's great. But does this do anything with COVID-19 testing and vaccines? Should employers start looking at, at maybe adjusting their safety protocols and policies as we we're now coming to the end of the national emergency? Yes, absolutely. So um, uh, once the emergencies end, um, they should be, um, so in terms of like COVID testing, COVID vaccines, um, they should be taking a look at their policies. They should be talking to their um, insurance carriers. They need to be looking at their plan documents and warning individuals of the fact that some of these things that were um, had no cost sharing before um, during the, the public health emergency, um, some of those things are going to have cost sharing associated with them or prevent um, or pre-authorization or some other type of like medical um, uh, medical uh, management on on the on the part of their group um, of their health insurer. So um, that is all specific to the public health emergency. A little different than the national emergency, um, mm. but they'll. Uh, but employers need to think about that and think about um, you know what their plan documents say, what their um, summary of benefits and coverage say. So those those types of documents that they have to have and make available to their um, plan participants, they need to take a look at those and make sure that it's all um, accurate for what changes they're going to make after the uh, after these emergencies are over. It really does seem pretty complicated between national emergency and, and public health emergency. So it sounds like good advice to, to employers is go look at your plan documents and make sure that you're familiar with how things were before all of this, because we're we're rapidly heading back to those to those states, and that leads us into my next question. So, in addition to updating the plan documents, what else should HR leaders and employers be doing to prepare themselves for the end of the COVID nineteen emergencies? 
So they should absolutely be con communicating with their vendors and their vendors are their insurance carriers, their third party administrators, um, their, um, uh, you know, their benefit, their benefit administration vendors. They need to understand how these vendors are making the transition. Um, mm -hmm. so they, they should reach out to their vendors and say, how are you, you know, how are we going to handle the change of due dates for COBRA? What is the plan for that? And, you know, in most cases, I think their vendor probably is, you know, communicating that to them. But if they're not, you need, you know, employers need to check in. HR needs mm -hmm. to check and say, is, and there, is there anything that the employer is responsible for? So, you know, the TPA, the health insurer, they might only do certain pieces of this, and then the employer is responsible for, for other parts. Um, so they need to be concerned about that. And then also communication um, is key as well. Um, and uh, making sure that not only are they, you know, talking to their vendors, but understanding, like I said, who's responsible for what, who's going to, you know, who's going to make these mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Preparing for a, a smooth transition into into yet another new time for everybody. Yeah, we, we've got pre-COVID, we've got COVID. Now I guess we're moving to post-COVID. <laughs> as long as we keep on moving. So, yeah. you know, one of the things that, that I think about is at WEX, we, we take a great deal of pride in the fact that we work to simplify the business uh, of running a business. And we take the complex and, and really make it simple for employers. So. I'm going to I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot Jill. What tips might you have to employers for how they can best communicate all of these changes out to their employees, the people that you know they really want to make sure understand where these deadlines are being adjusted, etc. So the I think it's very important to make these communications as um, as early and as um, frequently as as possible. So the Department of Labor did suggest or strongly suggest, or maybe even it's a requirement, um, that employers need to notify individuals when these deadlines are running out. So if a timeline is, um, is approaching and someone is almost to the point where they could no longer make COBRA election or where they're going to miss out on, um, you know, being eligible for some benefit, so it could be a claim to an FSA, um, the DOL strongly recommends communicating that to the plan participants and in doing so, letting them know, hey, this is coming up here, you know, here's the potential loss that you're going to have if you don't respond by the end of your, you know, your um, grace period, you will lose your right to elect COBRA. So the, the DOL wants employers to make these um, communications to their employees, plus it just will make it um, you know, a better experience, a better um, benefits experience for those individuals if they know what to expect in terms of these deadlines and when they what they need to do and when they need to do it by. That's fantastic. There's just a lot of moving pieces with this particular situation. I I can't thank you enough for taking some time to be with us and 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 helping us start to sort through just kind of what feels at times a little bit like chaos. Um, any final suggestions for our audience on, on how to prepare for the end of the COVID-19 emergencies, especially now that we don't have a real firm deadline on, on when they'll actually end? 
Um, I think we just all need to prepare, be prepared for, we might have to pivot very quickly here. So, so you know, here at WEX, we've been preparing for that May 11th date ever since the president announced it back in January. As soon as we saw that the date could be moved up to a more immediate timeline, we pivoted and said, okay, what are we going to do to prepare for that? If, you know, it gets signed tomorrow or, you know, in three days from now. I think it's the key is to have the discussions, start talking about what needs to be done, communicate, like I said, with your vendors, communicate with your employees, um, and have internal discussions about what the employer's responsibilities are and how they're going to execute those responsibilities. And maybe it is that it's the TPA that's going to handle it, or but what if it's not and they need to be prepared for that? So I think um, communication and just being prepared for it to change on a dime. That's my, that's, that's my um, advice. It's <laughs> good advice. That's good advice. Well, Jill, let me take this moment to say thank you so much for being on Benefits Buzz. We truly appreciate your professionalism and your insights. Uh, wealth of knowledge. Thank you for bringing it to the table. And Jessica, thank you for co-hosting with me today. It's always fun to co-host with you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And thank you to Jill again. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's episode. If you haven't already, please go out and subscribe to Benefits Buzz and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Always looking for feedback. Thanks, everybody. Wax is in the business of simplifying benefits for everyone. Now, although we certainly hope our podcast sparks some aha moments, like that was pretty cool, but of course we cannot provide legal investment or financial advice. And well, therefore, nothing shared in this podcast should be interpreted as such. We encourage you to seek out appropriate professional advice regarding your plans. Hey, congratulations. You made it through our disclaimer. <laughs> Thanks for listening.